we are uh, wrapping up a series out of 1 Peter uh, this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have a, a Bible with you this morning, whether a paper copy or electronic or however you're uh, carrying that around, I encourage you to find that last part of 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. A uh, professor was conducting his uh, college class and he did a kind of a quick mini poll, about 30 students in the classroom. He said, how many of you believe in God? The vast majority of the hands, not 100%, the vast majority of the hands went up. He said, how many of you believe in Satan? Only a few hands went up. One student blurted out, how can any intelligent person believe in the devil in this day and age? The devil belongs to superstition, along with ghosts, goblins, and things that go bump in the night. And maybe, maybe that's part of where you are at. Maybe part of, of your struggle is, I, I kind of believe in, in a God, but this idea of, of a Satan or a devil, that just seems to be stuff out of horror movies, or we're, we're well beyond that. And yet, the Scripture, the Bible never got, gets beyond that. In fact is, Jesus talked about the reality of an enemy, of Satan, of the devil. The New Testament writers talked about that reality. Peter gives warning in these verses we're going to be looking at this morning. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Part of the professor's response was to say, if you believe that God is an invisible personal being who has the capacity to influence people for good, why do you find it hard or incredible to imagine that there is an invisible personal being who has the capacity to influence people for evil? Maybe part of the struggle that we have sometimes is with the, the caricatures that we have come to know through the years. Because my guess is when I say devil, if you think about it in terms of a picture, a lot of us see somebody in a red suit, right? Red suit, kind of horns, maybe a trident of some form or fashion, right? Maybe a tail with a point on the end of it. Well, that's not a biblical picture of the enemy, in fact, is that picture comes from the medieval ages. It came as a misguided attempt to poke fun at Satan. It was the, it was the idea that, that kind of the, the core of, of Satan's issue is pride, and so we would come up with this cartoonish type figure that would attack Satan's pride. The problem is we've kind of carried that through, and for many of us, that's our image, if we have any image at all, of, of Satan or the enemy or the devil. This kind of little red, and sometimes he's just a little impish figure, right? Maybe one on one shoulder, one on the other, and he's just trying to get you just to be a little bit naughty or whatever it might be. And yet the Bible says he's not cartoonish, but he comes to seek to kill, to destroy, to tear apart. 
that whenever he speaks, his native language is always of lies. His agenda for my life and yours is never a good one. And so it is absolutely essential if we're going to live God's way in a world that is so influenced by another way to know our enemy, to know our enemy. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And I have seen kind of folks at both ends of that extreme. Some who would say, uh, you know, I just don't believe that's kind of the stuff of fairy tales, that sort of thing. It's not real. And in our world, we understand more, we know more. On the other hand are those that seem to see Satan under everything, that a uh, demon under every bush. And if they're at a church setting, uh, the sound system crackles at a, at a certain time, and they're, they're convinced there's a demon in the sound system. And I usually think it has more to do with poor wiring or something along the way, right? So how do, we, how do we navigate and kind of hold in proper, healthy tension the reality of, of an enemy, but not to be excessive about it? Because blissful ignorance really isn't a very good strategy, is it? I mean, if you have an enemy, you want to be aware. So what I want to do this morning there's no way we could certainly plumb all the depths of this subject. But what I want to do is to just remind you perhaps of a few things because I have found through the years that there's a lot of distorted understandings of, of the enemy, even, even among followers of Jesus Christ. So I want to just kind of run through some, some quick, fast facts about Satan. And then I want us to turn to Peter and say, well, how does Peter kind of coach us? How does he teach us to, to live our life in light of this reality? So the first fast fact about Satan is he is a created being. He is a created being. He's not one who, who eternally coexisted like God. God is the only one who has eternally existed. And so he is a created being, just like you and I and the whole universe is created. The, the enemy, Satan, devil, uh, whatever you want to call him, the adversary, uh, he is a created being. For by him, Colossians reminds us, by God, through Jesus Christ, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And that includes the enemy. That includes demons. Now, what does this say to us, the fact that he is a created being? Well, there's some things we need to know. Because he's a created being, Satan is not equal with God, all right? This is, not, this is not Star Wars, all right? This is not like the force, you know, and there's a dark side and the right side, and they're equal, and they're kind of going back and forth. No, 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 no. This is not, this is not equality. Satan is not equal with God. He has been created by God, and like all the rest of God's creation, he is under the authority over the dominion of God the Father. Satan is not all-powerful. Is he powerful? Yes. As an angelic being, he's very powerful. But he is not all-powerful. Only God is all-powerful. And thirdly, he is not all-knowing. He is not all-knowing. 
Nowhere in Scripture do we have a sense that he can, he can read minds. Right? You say, well, wait a minute. It seems like times that things happen and it's like somebody knows me. Well, somebody can know a lot about you by watching you. Somebody can know a lot about you by listening to you. They can know where you're susceptible. They can know where you're vulnerable just by being a student of who you are. They don't have to read your mind. They can just study you. He is not all-knowing. And let me also just add, Scripture tells us he's not not omnipresent in the fact that he's not present everywhere all at the same time. So he is a created being. It's a created being. And what the scripture tells us as part of, of God's creation, he was this angel who fell from heaven due to pride. Who fell from heaven due to pride. The Old Testament and the New Testament talk to us about that. Uh, through the prophet Isaiah. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. The book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible in the New Testament, uh, it tells us not only glimpses of what is yet to come, but also gives us a, some glimpses as to what has taken place in Revelation 12. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So we have this, this descriptor of this one who was a created being, and his pride sought to ascend to be equal or even above God the Father, who, who was thrown down, and not only him, but those who followed his lead. And so we talk about Satan, or we also talk about the Scripture. The New Testament talks about demons. Demons are our evil angels who sinned against God. And who are now continually, who now continually work evil in the world. Very simple descriptor. So, so we have, have this, this force at work in our world. Uh, the Satan, devil, uh, demons who are continually work evil in the world. Continually work in rebellion to God. A third fast fact about Satan is he exercises limited, and that's the key word. Limited power here on earth during the present time. Limited power here on earth during the present time. John reminds us, we know that we are from God, and the whole world, the world in its current state, lies in the power of the evil one. Now, one of the things that this quickly reminds us of, uh, that we live in a very real sense in enemy territory. And while many of us have been blessed and, and we've probably had, let's face it, uh, a relatively easy life as a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the people that Peter was writing to, brothers and sisters in Christ across the world right here, right now, know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the presence of evil. 
They know what it is to suffer because you're a follower of Jesus Christ because that is being so powerfully opposed. And that's part of the reason that, that Peter wrote this letter to those who were suffering for their faith. They realized at a level that probably many of us don't realize that we operate in a world that lies in the power of the evil one. And we, we get deceived a little bit because maybe it doesn't feel, feel in your face evil. But remember the scripture says he disguises himself as an angel of light. He's a, a twister, a deceiver, a distorter. You just have to have somebody a little bit off track to be off track, right? And so it may not always come as, as this, this great oppression, but he's at work. And part of operating is to realize we live in enemy territory. That's why the scripture consistently says you're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. This, this world in its current configuration is not our home. We have a, we have a home. We have a, a heavenly home. We have a, a heavenly city. And so we understand we live in a sense in enemy territory. But that power is always limited. It's not unbridled. It's not, it's not without uh, parameters. If you go to the Old Testament, the, the book of Job, if you read the first couple chapters, and we don't have time to do all of that this morning, but, but you get that picture of Satan is only allowed to operate to such an extent that God is the one who is always in charge. He is the one who puts limits. Come to the New Testament. Same thing. Jesus talking to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. There is this, this limit that there's almost had, had to be this, this release for that to happen. But Jesus would go on and tell him that, that when you turn back to encourage, to pour in to other people, there is this, this limit. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I don't fully understand why. I don't fully understand why uh, for this, uh, this time, this present age, that Satan and the, the demons are allowed to exercise even limited power. I know from the, the bulk of Scripture that when it's all said and done, there's going to be honor and glory to God. I know God can use that to, to sharpen us, to form and shape our character along the way. But I, I, I don't fully understand why. But I take confidence and comfort in the fact that any power the enemy exercises is limited. It is always limited by God the Father. Fourth fast fact, he is a defeated foe who will be eternally condemned. He is a defeated foe. He knows that the Scripture speaks of it. He's a defeated foe who will be ultimately eternally condemned. Again, we look to the book of Revelation to give us that, that picture, that glimpse as to what is yet to be. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and 
ever, that there is a final judgment to be pronounced, that he is a defeated foe. At the cross of Jesus Christ, that that defeat was, was slammed home, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that even that last enemy, death itself, was defeated. That, that which looked like a victory for evil actually became the instrument of evil's ultimate end, the cross of Jesus Christ. He is a defeated foe. The war has already been won. But in the meantime, he conducts what we might call guerrilla warfare. He's not going to win the war, but he can inflict some damage. He can damage families. He can ruin churches. He can shipwreck individuals' lives. He can bring widespread chaos. Can't win the war. He's already a defeated foe. But until that final judgment, he can conduct what we might call guerrilla warfare, small attacks that inflict damage along the way. Fifth fact, Satan and his demons oppose. They oppose and try to destroy every work of God. If they had a mission statement, this would be it. Destroy and oppose every work of God. And he does that in a wide variety of ways. And what we've included in your note-taking guide is is just some Scripture references uh, for you maybe to take a deeper dive on this along the way. And we're not going to take the time this morning to go through all of these in detail. But I do want to at least highlight a few because they are of great significance. Number one says he is the father of lies. Number two, therefore his chief enemy is truth. That God Uh, that he will always oppose God's word. He'll oppose God's word. Let's pause right there. If you have to understand the reality of Satan, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he can't make you do anything. But he's a father of lies. He's a distorter of truth. And therefore, the, the, the chief weapon against him is always truth. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when Jesus had this encounter with the enemy, these temptations as are recorded for us in Scripture, the enemy would use Scripture, by the way, and he would twist it just enough. Jesus' response was not all sorts of incantations or pronouncements. It was truth, 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 God's word. Where will the enemy attack? It'll always be around truth. Thirdly, he casts doubt on God's goodness. He casts doubt on God's goodness. Go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Go back and see in those first few chapters how the enemy operated. What did he do? He began to question God's word and God's goodness. And I'm going to tell you his motivations, his methods have not changed. They have not changed. And so the whisper came to Eve and to Adam. The whisper came, has God really said? Has God really said? 
And then there was that suggestion that maybe God's holding out on you. That if you took of this fruit, God doesn't want you to do that because he knows what will happen in your life. You'll be like him. It's like God's withholding. And the enemy still whispers those type of things to us. Has God really said? Does God's word really mean that? Or is that just something for another age? We're beyond that. We're more sophisticated than that. Or that suspicion that maybe, 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 maybe I'm missing out on something. That if I just kind of bypass God's directive this one time, that maybe on the other end of that, maybe on the other end of that is something good. It's like God's holding out. And the enemy still uses those same techniques there's lots of others there. You can, you can see them. Again, we're not going to take time for all of these along the way. He does imitate religious roles. That's why it is so important to have discernment. Just because somebody spits out a scripture or so every now and again uh, doesn't mean that they are actually speaking the Word of God. Number 10, let me just jump on that a minute because this is another one. He suggests ways that don't involve suffering. And that was part of the temptation even to Jesus there in Matthew 4. Said another way, he'll suggest a shortcut. He'll suggest a shortcut that oftentimes doesn't involve suffering. But what we come to understand if we walk with the Lord long enough is that as somebody well said, there's no shortcut to someplace worth getting to. But we live in an instant age. We live in a microwave age. We live in an age where we get frustrated if it takes just a few seconds for a video to load, right? And we want it. And we want it now. We want it fast. And if there's a shortcut, we'll take it. And the enemy offers shortcuts. But there's never a shortcut to God's best in our life. Most of us don't seek suffering. And he may suggest there's a way. There's a way to avoid this. There's a way to get out of your pain. There's a way not to have to do it hard. And it may be a shortcut to a place you don't really want to go. Again, we could spend a lot more time on a lot of these. I give them to you for a resource for you along the way. Satan and his demons oppose and try to destroy every work of God. Now, at this point, I don't know what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. It may almost even be a sense of heaviness as some folks talk to me after the first service. But I want you to hear what Peter has to say in light of this reality. How do I respond to the reality of Satan? How do I respond to the reality of living in a world where he is actively at work, where he engages in guerrilla warfare? And Peter gives us three kind of points of coaching. The first one is be alert. Be alert. We already looked at verse 8, but let me go back to it again. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And what do I do in that? The word is be alert. Don't be careless. If you, if you, were, if you were working with lions, you would not be careless, right? 
careless lion tamers have short careers, right? Right, they do. And why? Because just because it didn't jump you today doesn't mean it's not going to jump you tomorrow, right? So you, you, you're alert. You're watchful. You take precautions. You don't live carelessly. If the enemy is observing you, you better be aware of yourself. Where am I vulnerable? Given my past, maybe given my family of origin, maybe given some of my experiences along the way, where am I vulnerable? Where am I vulnerable? Just to be aware of that. We, we've taught for a number of years and uh, shared this with some, some of the men and groups I've had a chance to be a part of, that, that HALT, H-A-L-T, H-A-L-T, right? That I, I have to be very aware when I'm hungry. And maybe that's a physical hunger, maybe that's an emotional hunger, maybe that's a, a physical hunger, whatever it might be. But when I'm hungry, I can be very vulnerable. When I'm angry, I can be very vulnerable. A lot of us are capable of doing stupid things in anger, aren't we? When I'm lonely and I get isolated, I, 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 can, I, I can be vulnerable. And T, when I'm tired, when I'm tired, and when I just get weary. Maybe that's a physical weariness. Maybe that's an emotional or spiritual weariness. When I'm tired, I can be very vulnerable. And in those occasions, I have to be most attentive, most watchful. I have to be alert. Don't be careless. You don't live in a morally neutral environment. You live in enemy territory. And because of that, you're watchful. You're watchful. You're alert. But a second thing that Peter coaches us here is be submitted and be strong. Be submitted and be strong. Verse 9, resist him. You have this enemy who is seeking to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. To, to be submitted and to be strong. Again, this is not just Peter's thing. This is a New Testament thing. You see James talking about the same thing. Talking about the God who gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We talked a little bit last week about humility. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's that word resist again. That resist is to stand up against, to stand up against. But it is vitally connected to submitting, to submit yourself, therefore, to God. James talks about it. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. He says, just be aware of the reality in which you live and be strong in the midst of it. And he gives us in Ephesians 6 that wonderful picture of the, the armor of God. But as a part of that, he talks about, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly peace places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now, hear hear what he's saying there. there. There's so much there. But what I want you to hear is that there is a spiritual reality. There is a spiritual battle. It's not just against flesh and blood but against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, we tend to operate, and we're schooled on it. I mean, it's just kind of who we are, as particularly in our culture, that everything kind of has a rational explanation, right? And very often it does. But sometimes when we look at situations, sometimes when we look at people, we just see the surface. Maybe we see somebody and feel like they're an enemy. They, they, are, they are treating me as an enemy. But what we have to understand is even below that, it's not so much they're an enemy, but they're a captive of the enemy. And they're operating in part because they're not operating in a freedom and in a power that comes through Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand that it's not, yes, be aware, get the facts, do your homework, do the analysis. But as followers of Jesus Christ, aware that there's a reality beyond the physical reality, we have to be aware of the activity of spiritual forces. And so because of that, we're alert. Because of that, it is imperative for us to be submitted and strong. If you don't get anything else this morning, I hope that you'll get and latch on to this next statement. Resisting Satan always, always, always begins with submitting to God. Resisting Satan always, always, always begins with submitting to God. So sometimes when somebody starts to get aware of this or maybe experience some of that, that, that heaviness of that, that spiritual reality, sometimes we can get off into extremes. Sometimes we want to get, you know, I got to pronounce this or, or, you know, I got to go on the city's hilltop and, and uh, cast out demons over the city and all this, all this stuff. Listen. Start with the most foundational and the most basic. Resisting Satan always begins with submitting to God. If he is the father of lies, the way that you combat him is always coming back to the truth. When Jesus was confronted with Satan, he came back to the truth. He submitted himself to the authority of his father the authority that had already been communicated and spoken through the commands of his word. That's where resisting Satan always begins. That's where the battle is. Submitting to God becomes the foundation upon which we live. It's not about praying some prayer or saying something. It's about, is my life submitted to the authority of God? Am I living in submission and in obedience to his word? When that is in place, then I can stand firm. Then I can resist the activity of the evil one in my life. But it always, always begins by submitting to God. Be alert. Be aware. Don't be careless. 
Be submitted and be strong, strong, standing firm in the faith. And then the third thing I want you to hear from Peter this morning is be confident. Be confident of who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. Next couple of verses. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we talk about being confident, it's not a confident because I got it all together, confident because I've got it all figured out. No, it's confident because of the one to whom I belong. Confident that even if there is suffering right here and right now, even if there is a struggle right here and right now, the God of all grace who has called you, called you by his grace to his eternal glory, will, will himself He personally will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And that becomes the basis of my confidence, who God is and what he has done. So you and I can live with a confidence even in the face of this spiritual reality. We can be confident because of God's presence. We can be confident because of God's presence. John encouraged his readers, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pause right there for a moment. I know some of you are very, very familiar with this. But this this is just one of those foundational truths. And I'm just going to encourage you. Sometimes there is great power in not only reading God's word and meditating upon it, but speaking it, speaking it. In fact, as I, I would just encourage you, there, there are times even in my quiet time, I, I'll read the Word of God out loud, even to pray it out loud. Jesus spoke the Word of God when he was dealing with the enemy. And so can I, can, I just, can I just invite you this morning, just, would you just join me in just, just a moment and just, let's just read that scripture aloud together. It's right up there on the screen. Would you, would you just say it out loud with me this morning? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that something? There is a confidence that I can have because God is present. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. And he who is with me is greater than he who is in the world. Yes, I am aware of his power. Yes, I'm aware of his mode of operation. But I have a confidence because of God's presence but also have a confidence because of God's promise. Because of God's promise. In Romans 16, Paul puts it very succinctly, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with 
you. If you think about this for a minute, I want to take you back again to Genesis chapter 3. The fact is you might want to write in your margin Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. Because right after the fall, as God was, was sharing what was happening, some of the consequences of their rebellion against God's love and against God's holiness, in the midst of that was this message of hope, this little message of the gospel that was yet to come. In, that, in Genesis 3.15, he talks about the Satan, the serpent, and he talks about while you will, there is one who is coming, this seed that is coming out of this lineage of Adam and Eve, the one who is coming, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush. He will crush that, so his foot will be upon the serpent's head. Jesus Christ was struck as he went to the cross. But in so doing, he crushed the authority and the power of Satan. And that defeat is going to be final soon, as we saw in the book of Revelation. And so I live with a confidence. I am confident of God's promise that whatever's going on right here, right now, I'm not alone. And the one who is with me is greater than the one that is in the world. And as I submit myself to him, he empowers me and enables me to resist the enemy. And I know that, that however long this struggle may seem, it is ultimately coming to an end because he will be crushed because of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I also have confidence because of prayers, because of our prayers and what God does in the midst of our prayers. Part of how Jesus taught us was to pray was around this whole area of dealing with temptation and the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can fairly translate that last word, deliver us from the evil one. The evil one. And so part of the way that we operate in this world is to pray, God, I, I get it. I'm operating in enemy territory. God, I understand at least some of my vulnerabilities. So, God, today, I need your help. God, lead me not into temptation. Help me to be aware of, help me to avoid some of those situations. Help me to be wise in the way that I work. Help me to build some structure in my life that can help where I'm vulnerable. Father, deliver me from the evil one. I don't want to be dis misled. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want my life to dishonor you and bring hurt and pain into the lives of the people I love and care about. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And listen, if Jesus told us to pray that way, don't you think that God's going to honor that prayer? Don't you think that's praying in the will of God? And so we have a confidence because of the power of our prayer. How do I respond to the reality of Satan? Be alert. Don't be careless. It's real. And it counts. But in the same breath, be submitted and be strong. Be submitted to the authority of God. Be, be saturated in His Word. Be submitted to the commands of Scripture and experience the strength that comes when my life is aligned with God. And then be confident. Not because you got it all together, but because you belong to the one who's won the victory, who is present with you, 
who has promised the victory and who will answer your prayers. Read quite some time ago about a father and son. They're kind of having a father-son day. And part of it was he was taking his son to the zoo. And they had seen various animals and they were getting near the area where the big cats were, right? And a little boy, you know, as boys want to do, he's kind of running ahead, right? He wanted to be the first to get there, the first to see, right? And so he, he whips around the corner into kind of the big cat's area. And about that same time, this, this huge lion is, is somewhat near the cage. And he, he lets out this, this, this terrifying roar, right? You know, kind of fills the whole section there, right? The little boy kind of stops in his tracks and he begins kind of running the other way. He kind of yells out to his dad, 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 a lion, a lion, a lion. So come here, son, come here, son, come here. And then he grabs him and says, Dad, aren't you scared? He said, come here, son, I want you to see. That's, that's a big, scary lion. But I also want you to see that cage. When it comes to dealing with a roaring lion, you can live your life fearful of the lion or you can be comforted by the cage. The enemy is real. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And yet his power is limited. It's limited by the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, who has won the victory for us. Be alert, be submitted, be strong, but be confident. Confident knowing that however much he roars, he is contained, he is controlled by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's go before him together in prayer, please. Oh, Father. Lord, this is one of those subjects that sometimes we don't talk a lot about. When we talk about it, we don't always talk scripturally about it. So, Father, I, just, I, I pray today for your spirit just to guide us as we navigate these waters. And, and Lord, I, I pray for those of us that may tend to the pole of, of ignoring the reality of Satan, of acting like it's not real. Lord, you would remind us today that your word is still true. And what it says about reality is still real. And Lord, on the other end, there may be some today that, Father, it's, it's become almost excessive. That we've begun to, to blame the enemy for anything and everything. We've become perhaps a little distorted, even in the way that we're viewing reality. Lord, would you set us free from a fixation on the enemy so that we can be fixed anew and afresh on Jesus Christ. And so, Father, today, speak to us in this moment. Help us to hear what we need to hear to adjust what we need to adjust, to believe what we need to believe, to walk as we need to walk. In the freedom and in the strength 
that you give us in Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to invite you now just to take another moment or two and sit before the Lord. Some questions on a note-taking guide that we hope will help you to make this a little more personal today. Maybe just part of this morning is just re-examining what you've believed about Satan and how you've come to those beliefs. Maybe part of today is just thinking about how you've responded to that reality. Maybe today you just sense God saying, be alert. Don't be careless here. Maybe there's a situation or circumstance he's bringing to your mind that you need to do something about. You need to back away from. You need to put some more structure around. Maybe today for some of us it's, it's more about just coming back to full submission to the rightful rule and reign of Jesus Christ in our life. Maybe for some it's just about coming back and saturating our mind with the truth of God's Word and finding our hope and our confidence there. So you just continue to sit before the Lord. I do want to remind you that in the back of our worship space we have an